what is up everybody this is manny i'm hopping on to let you know that this is actually going to be a two-part episode so we had such a good discussion that we were like there's no way that we can jam pack all this information into one podcast episode i mean we could but then this would be about as long as endgame and you know, no matter how great it is, ain't nobody trying to listen to Endgame for three hours. <laughs> um, so we're, this is going to be the first part. We'll get about halfway through and then we'll release the second part in a couple of days. So thank you all for listening and welcome to the intersections. So let's talk diversity. We are three identity centers. Sitting at the intersection. Upperman African American Cultural Center. Mohan Schultz LGBTQA Resource Office. And Centro Hispano. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm Brooke. I'm Edel. I'm Liliana. I'm Manny. I'm Dion, and we're at the Intersections. Welcome, welcome, welcome to At the Intersection, the Office of Institutional Diversity and Inclusions podcast. I am, I wouldn't say your host for today, but I'm kicking things off. It's uh, me, Manny Lloyd, and I got my fabulous crew with me here today. We've got the wonderful Brooke Lambert. Brooke, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. Uh, it's fantastic. I'm out here with my colleague over at Centro, Liliana. Liliana, what's good? Hey, Manny. You know, just another Wednesday. Another day, another dollar. Going to stay in Centro, Dr. Adele Segovia. How you doing, Adele? All right, this Wednesday, kicking off the last half of the week. Woo! And I say the best for last because today is the day of the birthday boy. The birthday man, Mr. Reverend Brother Dr. Sean Hasker Palmer. Well, I thank you, thank you, thank you. It is my Barack Obama. <laughs> Number 44. I'm 44. 44. Oh, oh, oh. So yeah, we are just excited um, to be sharing this day and talking uh, with great colleagues. So as always, we're going to start off with what's in your car. What what have you been reading, listening to, watching? And I'm going to start with Adele, and then we'll popcorn from there. So Adele, what have you been, what's in your car? What have you been listening to, watching? Read it. Oh my goodness. So I own this yoga kick right now. Not so much like um, um, the actual physical part of it, but the learning behind the scenes on it. So the spiritual and the emotional part of that. So leaning on Redaya Yoga uh, this past uh, Saturday, this Saturday, and then uh, three Saturdays in a row doing that. So yeah, that's what I'm up to. Ridaya, that's H-R-I-D-A-Y-A, and that's uh, their hub is in Masunte, Mexico. So I'm so excited that they're doing that online. So it's kind of keeping me centered, trying to get back to center because, you know, with everything happening, it's kind of hard to stay uh, balanced. So, yep. So thanks to you guys. I've learned of a couple new different podcasts. So the biggest one I've been trying to catch up on, because clearly I've been missing out, is the Code Switch. Um, so I've just been kind of... Yes, Code Switch. You love a Code Switch. Yes, but I've been spending less time in the car because we are working remotely. <laughs> <laughs> and as I have learned, that is really truly when I do this. Um, 
So I'm hoping that things ease up and we can do some long road trips soon because then I can catch up on a couple of different series. But that is what I have been up to lately. Yeah, it's actually good. I think that um, podcasts are really cool for when you're cleaning the house as well. So if you want an alternative to like music, but a lot of us use music. Didn't, wait, didn't I say that last on our last recording? And I kind of got shot down that like that was not appropriate, that it needs to be music. It doesn't. Yeah, all right. I don't think I did. Did I do it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, well, I took your advice anyway then. So then maybe I, maybe I just I'll tell you I took your advice, Brooke. <laughs> I couldn't do it because I was like, well, then I'm listening to what they're saying and I'm focused on what's going on. I'm like, well, then I just stopped um, the vacuuming. Um, so but I, you can keep driving? Yes. Yes. See, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't do the listening and the driving thing. Like I get sidetracked like driving. I'm like, not paying attention then I'm like I don't even know where I am like I hope I'm still on the right road because I've I've been listening to the podcast Brooke, when I make one turn I guess <laughs> like I think I got a total of three turns to make it to work I was like oh well then fair, fair. So I'm the same with Brooke but a little bit worse I actually realized once that I ran a stop sign I mean I saw the stop sign through the rear view mirror because I was so tuned into what I was listening so mm. I had to stop. Yeah, uh, I feel like you all probably know where this is going to go because um, I've been talking about the Umbrella Academy for the last month. Um, <laughs> when, we, when we taped the last, when we taped the last podcast, I hadn't finished season two yet, and so it was like the next day that we finished season two, and I was like, "This, there is so much queer coding in the Umbrella Academy." Like I thought for a minute that I was like reading too much into it. And then I did like a quick Google search and realized that like, I'm not the only one that saw all the queer coding in the Umbrella Academy. So I'm not going to give out any spoilers because I think it's a really great show. And I will also say this is a, um, it is a comic. It's like, that's where, it, that's where Umbrella Academy comes from. And I'm not into comics. So like, there is a whole thing, you know, with the comics and a couple of the characters are different. So I am sorry if like, you're upset by that. I'm just specifically talking about the show, Manny. I don't need to look on your face right now. You just said you, just said you don't like comics. So, no, I mean, I, no, no, I didn't say I don't like popular comics. Kid. We I, popular kids don't like comics. comics. I heard you say you don't like comics. As you say that, I have a whole book. I have a whole Black Panther mask. I didn't, oh, wow. I didn't say I didn't like comics. I just don't read comics. I'm gonna I'll go back and listen to it. We'll, we'll figure out. We'll figure out what was said. Manny, Brooke and Brooke and Sean Palmer were very popular kids. We did not do comics. She was exactly. A, she's the sports queer. That's right. She's a sportsy queer. She's not the. I'm not the. I'm not the comic gay. All right. So anyway, back to Umbrella Academy. The show. All right. Back to Umbrella Academy. The show. Here's what I'll say. Without, I'm gonna really try not to do any spoilers. Season two is is pretty overtly gay. There's a lot of queer coding in season two that's pretty out there that like you can very easily see. Yeah. Season one is way more covert. So like there were a lot of themes in season one, including like um, denial and familial rejection and trying to find yourself and find your place and trying to find support. And um, there's a lot of like, kind of, I would say some gaslighting that happens in season one. And it's, it, 
this entire time I'm like this season one is like a coming is like literally parallel to a coming out story like it really 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 is and I was like maybe I'm reading into it too much you know I don't maybe I'm this is just like because of the work that I do like this is something that I'm thinking about all the time and then once we got through season two and I like googled it there were other people that were like no no there's some real queer coding going on in Umbrella Academy so that's my that's my thing with Umbrella Academy. Love for people to check it out if you haven't already, um, because I love to talk about all of the queer coding, and I don't think any of you have watched it yet, so I don't want to give away the spoilers, but when you do, we're going to go out and uh, chit-chat. I think I'll kick it over to Manny since I got so much crap from him just now. No, I did <laughs> It's you were like, I don't need comics, and then apparently comics aren't for cool people. So, you know, that's, that's fine. John did kind of say that, yeah. I I was just saying what everybody was thinking. Yeah, don't put that out there. So you don't know, Sean is and I are big West Wing fans. Um, so I, you know, I heard you mentioned this year it's the Obama year. So what I did was um, I created a ballot box filled with items. Um, that's what I've been working on for like the past 48 hours. Um, kind of crafting and putting that together. Um, well, the items to go in the box. I'll get to the box in a second. Um, but yeah, so it's all like political items. Um, so references to the West Wing. So they're really cool. Now, if you've ever seen a ballot box, you know, a little plastic, you know, a little, little box. Uh, got ballot box written on it. I text Liliana because she's, you know, very creative. I'm like, hey, can you make me this? Um, that night, I get a text back, like, hey, here's what I got. I didn't have, like, a regular, like, you know, like a box, like, tissue would come in. So she made a box. I feel like she went back. A to whole box. I think she went back to 1749 and ducked through discrimination, sexism, racism, uh, <laughs> and everything, and actually brought this box back. It's a gorgeous box. We just then decorated it all night. Uh, I delivered it today, and it's just amazing. And it was kind of the first time I kind of really did, like, a themed type of uh of like some of gift packs so that's really what i'm working on um so sean if there's been any slacking of actual work in the center that's the reason why <laughs> look look who cares about work <laughs> no. who cares about work is there's too much work we're in a pandemic we don't have time to work we need rest period, period. <laughs> uh so Amen. <laughs> Thank you to Liliana. Um, but that's that literally was in my car. So I had like a whole charcuterie board. I had the box. Uh, so well, I'll post some pictures later. But nah, that's that's what that's what literally was in my car. Manny um, brought me a birthday charcuterie. It was gorgeous. I was like, and it was West Wing, and I am a West Wing junkie, so I am a political junkie. So that, yeah, I'm thank thank you, thank you for all who worked on it, Liliana. The box is amazing. You wouldn't have got that from Palmer. I would have put it. I would have tried to go get a shoe box and cut out a little hole or something. That's what I expected. That's what I expected. <laughs> we got overachievers over here. Um, I love it. And then, but I'm and I'm still behind on Lovecraft Country though. So I, I got I'm like three episodes behind. Yes, and you're missing out. Like, you're really missing out. Because last week's episode on Emmett Till was so dope. I just was like, but scary and dope because I don't know if you should do Emmett Till, children, pickaninnies, and minstrelsy all in the same horrible episode. But it was, <laughs> but it's real fun. That's, that's, anyway, that's too much. So, Brooke, to your point, no, 
Yes, I actually have started Umbrella uh, Umbrella Academy. Yes, and it is super gay. It's yeah. super gay. Yeah, not, I mean, and not in a, like it is like all of the tropes that show up in like like rejection, sending people away, um, and like there and children, like lots of lots of dysfunction as children, like the harm we do to children. Um, I definitely saw showing up in the many stories that I've heard about colleagues friends, family members who have been, who are queer and who are out now, but who were not out and what they experienced. And so I definitely see that as true, uh, true to the story. And I, I mean, I'm still in season one. Like, I think I'm nearing the end, but like, it's still a lot to take in. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there are, uh, Janiqua loves, my wife loves the story. So like, she's really, in, she's really enjoyed She's like, I think you might like it, but it's very dark. It's a little dark. And she's like, I was worried about how you might feel about it, given that, you know, you are a survivor of, of sexual assault and child abuse. And so, and now she's like, I don't know. That's why I didn't suggest it for you. But I really actually really um, enjoy the truth telling of the, of the narrative, because there's a lot of, tr- there's a lot of ways to tell those stories that sometimes get breezed over. So I actually have enjoyed doing, doing that. Um, but I was gonna tell, I was gonna introduce y'all to something new. One of my colleagues who, I have two friends, two classmates who are um, also um, working kind of in cultural center work next to our work. So they would be Adele, they're the equivalent to Sister Rose. Oh yeah, nice. And so, so for everybody who doesn't know who Sister Rose is, if you're not at, if you're at UNCW, you know who Sister Rose is. But if you're not at UNCW, Sister Rose is like our unofficial, own God conscious chaplain, mother, patron saint of all things good and whole. We love her. So shout out to Sister Rose, right? Is, we did I get we love right Sister Rose. We love Sister Rose. <laughs> so two of my colleagues have started a podcast that is about progressive chaplaincy work and multicultural center work. And they are chaplains at private schools and they have a podcast called The Sacred Spot. 45 minutes super interesting and they talk about healing practices they tell you what they're drinking that week like they're like yeah so what are we drinking this week and so like it's hilarious (laughs) to listen in to how they're thinking about like covid they were like well what is one thing you're doing with students this week oh i told them don't call me and don't talk to each other like go in your room and rest and so i thought that was really cool (laughs) so i was i've listened to their podcast their first um their first podcast once uh twice already this week um and they introduced me to the nap ministry the nap ministry is on instagram and the nap ministry is literally uh instagram space that tells you that about rest like they literally help you get to understand like you need rest and it is okay to take rest and so like if you go look up nap ministry on instagram you will get quotes and thoughts um like just about like why why rest is important. My favorite quote from last week, and I'm paraphrasing, but Dustin Pickett said it quickly. It's he got it from Instagram, and I think it, it's really profound. He was like, "Liberation, um, you cannot do liberation work without sleep." And I was like, "Ooh, we try so hard to not sleep." <laughs> so that's in my car. <laughs> so Manny, where are we going next? Where are we going? We're taking a left. We are we are in LGBT History Month. We're celebrating the Heritage Month. Woo! Last- 
We are still got about a week still left in Latinx History Month, our Heritage Month. <laughs> um, we're also now started with LGBT History Month. So we're going to talk a little bit about the protest movement and just movements in general. Um, but I'm about to shut up because the thing about a good leader, a good person, that they know when someone knows more than them. So I'm going to shift it to my wonderful colleague who uh, me and Sean affectionately refer to as Brooklyn. That's the name that we have that we have bestowed <laughs> upon her. So Brooke, I'm giving you, take, take the wheel, take the wheel and uh, drive us through LGBT history. Yeah, all yeah right. I'll take, you know, centuries and centuries and condense it into uh, 45 minutes. Yeah, I'll, I'll do what I can. I 10 minutes, do not bore us. Make it also interesting. <laughs> I, I'm gonna try really hard to make it interesting. Um, so, and if it's not, then you all can pop in and try and make it more interesting. Um, with all of your fun comments and questions and whatever. So we're really talking about um, the United States of America when we're talking about with this specific kind of queer history that we're going to get into. And we start as early as 1869. So it starts early. Um, that's like kind of our first known um, balls and drag balls that, that were happening. Um, but this all takes place in, in Harlem. So did you say Harlem? I did say Harlem. I've got Harlem on my mind and I'm longing to be low down and my parley will not ring true with Harlem on my mind. So it is um, our black queer community that really gets kind of the drag balls and the start of ballroom culture um, really comes from, from the black queer community, which is um, awesome, obviously, but it's interesting. So Basically what happens is, again, as early as like 1870, we know these drag balls are happening and they are massive. Like these are not like little neighborhood, like 10, 15 people come to these parties. But when we're talking like in the, in the 1920s and the 1930s, we're talking thousands of people. So like anywhere from like 6,000 to 8,000 guests would attend these massive drag parties. And they were not, at this point, like once we get to the 20s, they're not just happening in Harlem, they're happening everywhere. However, the largest one happened at the Hamilton Lodge. Um, and it, would, it was like once a year, and it was just this massive, um, this massive like drag party. And so what's interesting about the 20s and the 30s, what, anybody know what else was going on in the 20s and the 30s? Prohibition, right? No. That's right. You cannot have liquor, and that's not good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so liquor is not good, so there's no alcohol. So basically what was happening was the queer community, specifically the Black queer community, was throwing these massive parties, and people could get alcohol. And so everybody was, was in on these, on these drag parties. This is also what started, like, the modern-day, like, ballroom culture. So when we're talking about the show Pose, um, mm. This is where all of that starts, is really in the 20s and the 30s. And so basically what was happening, prohibition's going on, but the queer parties were the places to be because you could get alcohol, everybody was out having a good time. And there really wasn't a closet at this point either, especially for working class Americans. 
So there were a lot of working class Americans that did not hide their sexuality at all. That's not the case for everybody. There were folks that did still hide their sexuality. There were folks that were in marriages at the time, but it was also like kind of like a beard. Everybody just kind like of an knew. arranged marriage. No, I wouldn't say arranged marriages, um, but they were. I mean, at that point in time, a lot of the marriages were kind of political moves, right? right. Okay. Um, and so, so a facade. Is the, so is the beard like a weave for your face? you can think of it however you want but <laughs> but what i'm trying to get at is that while queer folks were still kind of looked down upon it wasn't really as secretive as what we might imagine the 20s and 30s were there were a lot of people that were pretty open and then there were others that weren't, but everybody attended these, these drag parties, everybody, anybody who was anybody, it was the hot ticket was to be going to these drag parties. And then what happens? The decisive vote of the 36th state against prohibition is happy news for the grain raisers of the United States and for many others throughout the land. With an eye on December 5th, work is being rushed in distilleries and bottling works. Thousands are being called back to work in plants of allied industries. At least 500,000 new jobs are predicted as a result of repeal. From keg and barrel... And in the process of prohibition being repealed, they decide that, okay, we'll serve alcohol, but only at orderly places. And I'm putting that in quotes. And mm. essentially what that meant was that now you were not allowed to serve alcohol at known gay and lesbian bars. Damn. So, wow. Yes. So everybody that was attending all of these massive balls and parties and drag um, parties for the last like 10, 15 years are now saying, okay, we, we can get alcohol again, but not to you all because you all, this isn't orderly. So it was, again, like we're looking at like control and who makes the yeah. rule at this point in time, straight white men, right? Those mm -hmm. are the people that were in power. Those are the people that are making the rules. So now suddenly everybody has to go underground. Um, and it was not safe to be out. It was not safe to, um, to be participating. So everything kind of moves underground. There were still gay and lesbian bars and there, were, there was definitely still drag parties that were going on but not like before, everything became a little bit more secretive. Um, so that moves us into the 50s. And in the 50s is when we had the Red Scare, right? So communism, Cold War. Um, what also happened in the 50s was something called the Lavender Scare. And basically what happened was that homosexuality, so being gay or lesbian was deemed a security risk. So as a federal employee, you were, deemed you know they were doing like research to see who was gay and lesbian and then they were firing them if they found out that they were yikes so yeah so that's referred to as the lesbian as the lavender scare scare which happened at the same time as a red scare because being gay or lesbian was just as bad at the time as being a communist um and we know that both are great <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> um, so also in the 50s is when uh, being gay was listed as a mental disorder. So when we're looking at the um, oh, lobotomies and such, like the they were DSM, the DSM. So like what psychologists and psychiatrists use to diagnose 
mental illnesses. It's called the DSM. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. There you go. So, Brooke, this is the thing. In Lovecraft, in Lovecraft Country, Tick's dad is actually gay in the show. But he talks about, so it's the 1950s. So it's interesting because I had never, I don't think I knew that there, I don't think I knew much about the lavender scare, like the, the red scare. I knew about the red scare, but I don't know. The 50s is not my period of time, like to discuss or to talk about. So in the show, the guy talks about having, going to church, having a professor, having a pastor who had been sleeping with men, dragged out of the church, put in an insane asylum, and then half his brain, you know, taken out of his head as a part of like the ways in which the, the world had a problem with, you know, LGBT folk. And he says in the, in the show to Tick, he's like, he's telling Tick like, you know, he was like, did you, he, the, the, Tick wants to know whether he cheated on his mom. He's like, I did not cheat on your mom. He's like, because I, I chose to live a life rather than to have somebody force me into a, an insane asylum because of my, because of what I love, who I love. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was super profound because I hadn't even thought about the ways in which a DSM would show up in like just how you like this I mean it is a scare it is a scary experience would you argue that the 50s are, are a period where the closet was constructed yeah I mean it see to me from from what I'm not you know I'm not a history like that is, this is not my area right like history is not really my area but from what I can see that that's what it looks like to me is that the 40s and the 50s is really where this this idea of the closet was constructed um, and part of it was because of the lavender scare. And, and ironically enough, J. Edgar Hoover, who um, I believe was the FBI director, first FBI director, and was the FBI director at the time, and who was also rumored to be gay, was the one that was implementing all of these things that are harming the, the LGBT community. And a lot of it had to do with he wanted the heat off of him. And so, Mm -hmm. So people would question his sexuality and his response to that is to dig into everybody else's lives and figure out what they're doing behind closed doors and get the heat off of him and onto other people. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of, a lot of stories and a lot of, um, a lot of folks kind of talking about that. It's, it's real interesting, like, like the parallel between the, the red scare and the lavender scare, because I, so I like watching old, like, 50s black and white you know, the propaganda, from the propaganda videos, and there are, like, a lot with, like, the communists, and then it's the one of, like, um, beware of, of gay and queer folk. There's such and such and such. So it's, like, it's so very similar. What Jimmy didn't know is that Ralph was sick, a sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious, a sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual, a person who demands an intimate relationship with members of their own sex. And it's also interesting that we think of the 50s as like, oh, it's the Americana, it's when America was great again. <clears throat> Make America uh, great <laughs> again. So like this construction of like, oh no, when we are weeding out these people who we don't want in society, that's when, that's the America we want to go back to. I think it'd be real. Not I. It's not the America I want to no, go back no, no. to. I, I'm, I'm other people. I'm not other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting like around this time, which we think of like, oh, this is, white picket fences and happy days it's like and no leave it to the beaver. picture perfect right it's a no it's but a, it's also minstrelsy and uh scaring gay people and communist scare and you can't write books that are about 
actual literature because they can get banned. Are you? It's also the middle of the expatriate movement, <laughs> like. And redlining begins in the 1950s, which and oh, might I forget? Let let us not forget Jim Crow and lynchings, <laughs> lynchings, and sundown towns. Oh, I should for, like just so we know. So I don't know who the 1950s was good for, but nobody in this group. The 1950s was not good for any of us. <laughs> <laughs> but to, Sean, going back to your your comment about um, homosexuality being in the DSM um, or listed as a mental disorder in the DSM, you know, when we're talking about language, that's why a lot of folks don't like the word homosexuality is because there's so much like history and trauma attached to that word, and so a lot of folks, some folks, like think that the word homosexuality is this kind of like neutral term. But for uh, folks within the queer community, it's just not because it was attached to a mental disorder for 20 years, you know, and people were thrown into um, to hospitals because because they were gay. I mean, so that's why when we're talking about language and why language is so important, um, you know, that's why homos the word homosexuality is why you don't hear that as much and why we're really trying to move away from that because of the medicalized um kind of baggage that comes along with that yeah. so we're gonna keep we're gonna keep cruising we're gonna keep cruising so vampire uh, let me add your i'm um, add your comic book stuff Brooke. <laughs> thanks all right uh so 50s and 60s was also though a time of a lot of growth and organization so we start to see while there have been um, publications and there have been groups like LGBT focused groups prior to this, we see a pretty big growth in the 50s and 60s, 60s um, because a lot of folks know that it's needed. And then once we move into the 60s, of course, this is where we get to Stonewall, right? So 69, um, June 28, 1969 was the start of the Stonewall riots, which well, that's what we know of as kind of like the modern LGBT movement. And um, that's also how we get June, you know, when people ask why is June Pride Month, it's because of the Stonewall riots, right? Um, and so essentially what happened was there were, police would go in and raid gay and lesbian bars. So like they, any, because at the time you still couldn't serve alcohol to places that were not orderly. And so police would go in and raid known gay and lesbian bars. And you also couldn't wear clothing that didn't match your, your uh, assigned sex at birth, right? So any woman that is in male clothing or men that are in women clothing, that you can also be arrested for that as well. And so they would, yes. What, wait, wait, I'm sorry, what counts as male clothing? So at the Stop. time it was like pants and button up shirts. See, now that's some bull What's so interesting is you also have a very strong history in blues music. So whether you're talking moms, you know, not, well, the comedian moms, Mabley, and like all of the, what we call the Chitlin circuit, like all, but like all of these major blues, like Bessie um, Smith, um, and many of the acts, women acts in blues were queer women in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And like, it's how we get rock and roll. Like a queer woman, a black queer woman created rock and roll. There are strange things happening every day. Every day. Every day. 
every day. Every day. There are strange things happening every day. And so it's so interesting to see not like like how these things cross over in terms of race and sexuality lines because like I'm I'm not I'm not sure like how they got away with participating in the spectacle of wearing men's clothes on stage because that's what they would do. So like I, I don't know. Like it's an interesting question, Brooke. Well, I think it's, it's, it's probably like the choice to police it, right? So, I mean, we have a bunch of arbitrary laws even today that like if people decided to start policing it, then, you know, you could potentially get arrested for, you know, random, like really random stuff. And so I think it's like the idea of like, are you going to police it? And if they can have an excuse to arrest somebody, then <laughs> that's what they're going to do, right? Like when they're raiding a gay and lesbian bar, they're going to use any excuse possible to make those arrests, even if the laws that they're arresting them from, they wouldn't be doing that with other, in other areas, right? Right. So Stonewall. So basically, um, people were tired of uh, these raids happening and people were fed up. And that's how we start, you know, that's where the Stonewall riots come from. Um, from Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, um, who were both um, women of color, um, trans women. So, and they were basically like, no, like we're done with this. Like we are done, we're over it. Like you cannot um, keep doing this. And there was like a three day riot, um, which anywhere, you know, there are reports of anywhere from hundreds to thousands of people participating um, in, in this riot. Um, and so that's where, you know, that's where Pride Month come from, comes from. And every year, really what started with that, like every year on June 28th, they did a parade um, in New York. And then once that happened in New York, then it was happening in other major cities across the country. And so that's where the modern day like Pride Parade and Pride Festivals, that's where all of those come from is literally from Stonewall, is from this riot. Oh, did you just say that riots do matter and that riots make change? Did you just say that, <laughs> that riots give us festivals later in life? It's <laughs> like, did you just tell us that if you use, um, you know, like if you put a seed in the ground, that it will bloom into something beautiful? I don't know. Maybe that's what I heard. Liliana, as well, what you heard? I don't know. I heard because what I was going to bring up was prior to the Stonewall riots, one that we don't talk about often is the Compton cafeteria riots in San Francisco. And this was in 1966 and it precedes that one. And very similarly, because when we talk about discrimination, even discrimination within the community. So at many of the gay bars, trans women weren't allowed. There was transphobia. Um, so cafeterias were really these places where women could go to. And just like Brooke explained, like, they got tired and they were fed up. And at one point, one of them was being dragged out and she throws her cup of hot coffee onto this police officer and it went down. And similarly, so you're seeing this movement, people reach their limits and it's not just confined to one coast or the other. Like you're seeing the same sort of discrimination and um, hatred across the nation and even though the communities didn't have social media so we're not talking to each other in the same way we're talking to each other now but you're seeing these things happen in these different spaces and as a collective you've reached your boiling point and you're like we're done yeah. we're done 
And once you reach that, it, like, you, you need to act and you need to move right. forward because how do you, how do you live? Um, so I love it because I was like, you, you see this and, and I always talk about um, history matters where you're located. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, it's San Francisco and it always seen as like, well, we're making these movements and we're making this choice. I'm like, no, San Francisco threw it down and they went to war and they did it and, and they fought for their rights because the same sort of things that were happening in New York were happening to them there and they were done. They were sick, over with it and, and changed Believe it or, oh my God, change happened. Look at that. Yeah. Manny so, said all riots matter. I think that's what he said. <laughs> so, so can we draw, you know, can we look at that and, and look at how things were then and, and how things are now? And can we conclude that, you know, rioting does make it Get things done. You know, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that out there and let people... Just Soak on that. Soak on that for a little bit. Just see how it feels, is what, <laughs> is what we'll say. So moving into the 70s. So in the 70s, um, homosexuality is removed as a mental illness. Um, so it was, it was in the DSM for about 20 years, and it's removed. Um, and then in 78 is when we see um, Harvey Milk come into, come into play. Um, and he's also murdered in the same year that he's elected. And then within that same year, we also see the pride flag officially um, kind of start to have an emergence. Rainbow was previously um, already kind of seen as a symbol within the queer community in places like San Francisco. Um, but there was kind of this um, idea to have it be like the official symbol. And initially with the pride flag, um, and well, still to this day, but um, there are reasons behind the, there are, there's meaning, I guess, behind the, um, the, color. the colors. I was going to ask, I know I've seen it, but is there, could you talk, or do you have, you're going to tell us a little bit about the colors? Of course I'm going to tell you about the colors. I wouldn't bring yeah. it up, I'm not going to tell you about the colors. <laughs> So uh, the first pride flag actually looked a little bit different from the pride flag that we know today. It had different, a little bit different colors in it. Um, there was a, a pink in it, and there was also turquoise and indigo and violet, and we don't see necessarily all of that. But the original pride flag, um, pink was for sexuality, red uh, represented life, orange represented healing, yellow, sunlight, green nature, turquoise art, indigo harmony, and violet spirit. And those are things that were all felt like to be really important within the queer community, which is why um, they kind of chose those things. We see it a little bit different. So we know that the pride flag and the pride uh, um, LGBT movement has been um, shifting and changing. And so the pride flag that we see today, instead of having the turquoise, indigo and violet, it just has um, blue and purple and then we've also added black and brown stripes as well so the newest pride flag um black represents diversity brown inclusivity and then red life <laughs> and then orange healing yellow sunlight green nature blue harmony and purple spirit there's also something called the progress pride flag which instead of having it all kind of up and down there's an arrow that includes black and brown stripes and then also includes 
white, um, pink, and blue that represent trans folks as well. So I think we're going to continue to see evolution mm -hmm. of um, kind of symbols and, and what those symbols mean as we continue to evolve as a movement. Um, and I think that to Liliana's kind of point earlier, talking about queer trans women, um, or specifically queer trans, trans women of color, um, you know, typically when we think about LGBT rights, a lot of times it's just like everything else in America, it's really whitewashed. And so being really intentional about making sure that we're including the stories of queer folks of color as well, because we know with every big movement the LGBT community has had, typically those are led by queer people of color. Um, from the very, very start of drag balls to where we are today, a lot of those movements have started because of queer people of color. And it's really important that we continue to recognize that. So I think that that's the direction we're gonna see, which is why we've had such evolution within our pride flag. I was also gonna say that the civil rights movement is the same way in many regards, whether we're talking about modern day civil rights movement or, um, or you know, past civil rights movement, BLM would not be possible. Black Lives Matter would not be possible without queer black women um, um, some of which have immigrant stories, um, it wouldn't, it would just wouldn't be possible without them. And so, and then the same breath, like, you know, we, if we're talking civil rights or Harlem Renaissance and all of these major movements in Black life, whether you're talking Bayard Rustin, um, who's a civil rights activist, out civil rights activist who folk really wanted to exclude um, um, from, from the movement. Um, and he, it's, I mean, this amazing brother who's a member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, um, who is having this, who, who makes it possible for the March on Washington to happen. And so like, whether you're talking Bayard or whether you're saying Zora or Langston or, you know, other, other, other African-American folk, like Black queer folk have a, have always been a part of the narrative of Black America and Black America's freedom story. So, so I would argue you're right, like Brooke, like, and I think that even, I mean, Black communities struggle with how to handle sexuality because of the way in which slavery made it impossible for us to control our own sexuality. And then I think on some level, the Christian, the Eurocentric Christian dogma coming out of slavery um, and then, uh, so you, you had to choose whether you're going to be in the church or in the, in the juke joint. And I think on some level, you see a much more comprehensive storytelling about Black folk who chose not to do church, but still believe in God on some level. In their narrative around, like, there's a, little, there's a lot more openness about, like, the fluidity of gender and sexuality, for sure, that we now, we are now able to see. But um, something that I did not know was that I think the earliest drag ball was in D.C., and it was an African-American former slave. Um, I think his name is William... Hold on, I'll tell you. Will, William Dorsey Swan, um, and he was known as the Queen. And so in 1860, um, or in the late 1870s, he is hosting drag balls in D.C. So these histories have, like, long... These, like, you're telling the truth on this. Like, this, these are long histories. Do you guys think that because if you're already a person of color and you've already felt this marginalization, some things you can't escape, right? Um, if, if, you're by, if by appearance you're already putting me in a box and I'm already facing that type of 
discrimination and that type of hatred and that and everything else that comes with it that you reach the point where you're like you know what i can't hide my sexuality i don't I, like if i can't hide my race and, and i'm not going to be passing and my sexuality is also a piece of that at this point i have the courage ability to be like you know what i'm going to do yeah. it because i'm going to get beat no matter what so if I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get also beat for the things that I stand for and who I am. Because we, we talk about hetero privilege. And if you are a person in the 1950s, if you are a white person and you can have the ability to be hetero passing, then that's one less thing you worry about. But if you're already a person of color, if you're already from, and I'm thinking of the Compton riots, Elizondo, and, and the women, the trans women who led those movements, you were already facing discrimination on a multitude of levels. And at that point, if you're facing it, if you're facing it for being you at the end of the day, you, you are just done. You're already encountering it from all these different levels. And is that kind of the, the next stepping stone that leads you to say, bring it. What else do I have to lose at this point? I, and and I, I think you're raising a good point, Liliana. I don't think everybody can pass it straight, right? Like, I don't think, like, we know that folk, like, and I think, you know, whether you're talking about a James Baldwin, but like, straight passing is not just something that everybody is innately able, everybody is not able able to pass as heterosexual which is why we which is why we have these things in black specifically in black communities i can't speak for other communities about the way you hold your hand or the way you stand the way you like all of those kinds of normative behaviors around black masculine identity but also black feminine identity because well, i think of that in the indigenous population and the term two-spirit two-spirit yeah that you acknowledge and you recognize that that is, and you highlight it as a beautiful being who can have both aspects in one, that's, at least back to that point, you, you cannot be passing. And if, you, if you're not fitting that box, well, we chose to marginalize it, but other communities chose to celebrate it and honor it. Um, look at us learning, <laughs> taking from those things. But I think that that contributes to this piece of enough is enough. And, and what's the next step and what do we do? And whether that is me leading the charge with others within community, because like, the same reason we have QTPOC, it's because there are certain layers of your identity that you cannot eliminate and all compact together um, to, to form action, basically. Yeah, I think that's interesting, Liliana, because at this, especially at this time, a lot of people were still very closeted um, and really living double lives. So I think that's an interesting thing to think about um, because you're right, a lot of white folks had the ability to be able to separate kind of their lives and be able to live a straight life and maybe be married and have a family and all of that. And then on the side, they're participating in some of these kind of underground um, or frequenting some of these um, like bars and parties and things. And so I, I hadn't, honestly, I hadn't, hadn't really thought about that, but I think that's a really interesting, interesting way to think about it and an interesting kind of concept. Yep, don't, don't think we're done yet. We still got to get through the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s, even up to present day. The conversation was just flowing. And when we listened back, we were like, oh, we're going to have to break this up. Uh, so this is part one of At The Intersection's LGBT History Month podcast. Um, our next episode will be the part two. That'll come out in a couple of days. But thank you all for listening. Um, and stay tuned for part two. Uh, keep up with our social medias. 
LGBTQIA Resource Office at UNCW, Centro Hispano, and Upper Mid Center. So yeah, we'll see y'all for part two. Yeah.